0: Welcome back, Abbaology family. Jake here. I've been dormant on YouTube for about 16 months. Um, Just to catch you all up, I'm gonna start doing some former pastor reacts videos. Now, I've never done this before, so please have mercy on my soul, okay? (laughs) I'm gonna do one today on uh, Paul Washer, who I believe comes from the Calvinistic perspective, and uh, it's, Three minutes long so I haven't heard this yet and it should be interesting but in the past 16 months Michelle and I kind of reevaluated our life and the church that we led for six years it for probably four years was was a place of was liberating for us and was a life-giving thing that we were doing and then it started to kind of become burdensome for us the fun was gone and it was life-taking So when the pandemic hit, then we kind of took the opportunity to talk to our leadership and say, you know what, we think this season in our life is over. I see Grace Culture, it was an amazing place. A lot of people got set free. They came out of fear and legalism. That's my heart, is to bring people out of fear-based doctrines and into a super uncomplicated walk with Jesus. What I'm doing now is, Really, just focusing on what my shirt says Abbaology and shifting people from those judicial, courtroom, fear based concepts of God into an uncomplicated family reality with God, kind of shifting from theology to Abbaology. And so, I believe that's what Jesus came to try to bring us into the reality He's always enjoyed. That's always been ours, we just didn't know. That's why His message was one of repentance. Bec- which means mind shifting, ongoing mind shifting. He never said change the core of who you are. He said shift your mind. Okay, so the reality we're experiencing in life is based on our thinking. So Jesus and Paul were were interested in changing thinking. So that's kind of what I'm doing now. In the last year, we've really been focused on our kids. We've had a lot of fun. I actually went through about nine months where I was just healing. From all the relational and emotional wounds that kind of surfaced after I stopped doing church every week. Because as long as I was in it still, every week, I didn't know what state I was in. Because I had to just do it every week. Get the worship ready, get the message ready, you know, all the stuff that we did. And so when it stopped, a few months in, I realized, man, I'm hurt and I'm even mad. A big part of my heart now is to minister to pastors. Guys, if you're a pastor watching this, however you're governed at your church, whether it's a board or you can kind of do whatever you want to do or elders, do not be shy about asking for time off. You have to have time off and they should want you to get time off. If not, kick them off the board. Okay? (laughs) Seriously. So, in the last year, I finished a course called Bible Hacks. It's actually linked below. And it's six around 30-minute modules along with fill-in-the-blank and non-fill-in-the-blank uh, notes that you can print out Which with each module. It's hosted on teachable.com. And it's, uh, it's really going to revolutionize your Bible reading. It, it takes all these interpretive tools that I've learned over the last 12, 13 years Of my theological journey and puts them in to 180 minutes of teaching six sessions about 30 minutes each and once you have Bible hacks in your tool belt to help you interpret the Bible you you come out of a lot of confusion into a lot of clarity and it's gonna change your life in an irreversible way I stand behind this course I used to work for a furniture sales company and I was the worst salesman In the history of their company because I hate sales but without a doubt I can tell you I do not feel bad about putting a price tag on Bible hacks because I 100% believe in it this is like I don't know how many books read and hours spent in concordances and with the Bible over the last 13 years and I've literally taken the most potent and powerful excuse me powerful tools and put them into one three-hour course with six 30-minute sessions you can take it in a group If you're a pastor, you can, I recommend uh, your whole leadership team taking it at the same time. (coughs) Excuse me. If you're a pastor who is not allowed to teach the things that you have rolling around in your heart and just want to study it secretly, do that. Okay, I know what that's like. I know a few pastors who are actually shifting on a lot of theology, but they cannot say it. They can't teach it because they'll lose their job. You know, and I just think we need to revisit some things, especially after this pandemic in, in church government and stuff like that. But I don't want to get off on all that. Let's go ahead and get into this Paul Washer video um, and see what he has to say. And then I've never done this before, so I'm just going to react. All right, here we go. Try to keep it as legit as possible. Have mercy on me.
1: When I was in seminary in preaching class, they told me that I should never use the word you when I was talking about sin, that I should say we. I don't believe that. I think that's wrong. Yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I do sin. But I do not want to give you comfort in a multitude of other sinners sitting around you. I want
0: to single you out. You are guilty. Whoa. Okay, this is already... I knew this was going to be intense because of his perspective coming from the Calvinist view. Whoa. Okay. So forewarning, when we watch this video, in my opinion, Calvinist teaching feels super heavy and burdensome and scary. All right. Um, The God of Calvinism is extremely terrifying and you need to be saved from him. Kind of Jesus saves you from God. And you never know if you're saved or not. You're never secure because you might be one of the elect and you might not be one of the elect, either predestined to heaven or hell. This is what Calvinists believe. So, first of all, he said he went to seminary. Now, I went to Bible college. It was essentially a seminary, but it was called a Bible college. And something cool about the word seminary is it comes from a Latin word where we get the word, now, close your kids' ears, (laughs) or not, semen. So the word is talking about seeding something. So when you go to seminary, they're going to seed you with whatever they want to seed you with. Generally, they're looking to reproduce themselves and reproduce their own views within you. And then you go and teach what they taught you wherever you go. So when you go to in- to seminary, you are going to get inseminated. All right, And it may not be exactly what Jesus wants to have growing within you, but it's what they want to have growing within you. I know at my Bible college, they only seeded me with their view. I know at a lot of other seminaries, I've heard that they'll, you know, you get more of a diverse, uh, you know, exposure to views, and then you can choose for yourself. And that would be great if that's true. But I I bet most of most seminaries are going to teach you, they're going to seed you. With what they want to seed you with. The second thing he said that I want to react to here is that when he... uh, I believe sin is more of like a mistaken identity. You've embraced a false belief about who you are. Namely that you're guilty, separated, sinful, uh, that God is unhappy with you. We've received that view of ourselves because we were taught it in church. So, you know, I think we're born conscious And in union with God, and a lot of times the church, um, Sunday school is our anesthesiologist kind of putting us to sleep. Now, these are good people usually. Everybody, including Paul Washer, including me, including you, teaches, makes decisions, operates from the truth that they're at at that time. All right? So he said when he preaches sin, he likes to single people out. Because if he's preaching sin in a group sense, you may feel justified in your sin because you've got a person sitting next to you that's also sinful. So at least you can have some community in your sin. And he wants you to know how guilty you are and how sinful you are as an individual. But what what's coming to mind right now is the adulterous woman. And so if we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. All right. Jesus is the authoritative revelation on who God is. Moses, Jeremiah, Elijah, Hosea, they can't say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, but Jesus can. And in the adulterous woman, the, religious, the legalistic religious Pharisees are the ones that single her out, and they bring her to Jesus and throw her naked before him alone and start pointing fingers at her sin, And so they're doing what Paul Washer says he likes to do, what his preaching professor taught him to do. And I just, what is coming to mind is that Jesus does the opposite of what his preaching professor teaches. And Jesus then brings it into a group context and says, all right, guys, if you're going to single her out for her sin, whichever one of you guys is without sin yourself, you guys go ahead and cast the first stone. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He leveled the playing field, and what that did is it ushers out hypocrisy. Jesus ushers out hypocrisy, all right? But Christ was singled out in
1: your place. The only covenant keeper of Israel was called from the flock and singled out for adversity. Now I want you just quickly to turn with me to Numbers chapter 6.
0: Yes, there was a covenant between God and natural Israel, but we were never under it. I wish I knew that as a kid, okay? One of the Bible hacks in the course that's linked below is covenant, okay? Um, you know, Leviticus 26:46 says that the covenant, the Mosaic covenant was made between God and natural Israel in Romans chapter nine, which is actually a favorite chapter for Calvinist teachers and preachers. Paul says that the he's he's praying for Israel, um, his brethren, according to the flesh, um, which means other Jewish people, not Gentiles. And he says, those who had the covenants and the promises and the law. So the Jewish people had the old covenant. And Jesus was a man born under the law, sent to redeem those under the law. So Jesus came as Israel's deliverer. He's our deliverer too, but not from the old covenant, more from wrong mindsets.
1: The blessing of Aaron, chapter 6, 24, the book of Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Those of you who study theology, do you find a problem here? A problem. The greatest problem in all of Scripture is here. This is not right. This is not right. How can a holy and just God bless a wicked people? How can he pronounce blessing upon you? Is he not the judge of all the earth? Will he not do right? The only way that this blessing can fall upon the head of God's people is because the curse fell upon the head of God's. Son. It's as though God Man. looked down from heaven and turned this priest- priestly blessing around and said, This, the Lord curse you. The Lord give you over to destruction. The Lord take the light of his presence from you and condemn you. The Lord turn his face from you and fill you with misery. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?
0: Oh, no way. Okay, so. This is more fun than I thought it was going to be. (laughs) This is like really fun. So let me reiterate. Remember, if you're not used to hearing Calvinist teaching, you may feel that heaviness. I want you to know that's not Jesus. That's just kind of what this, oh, the burden of fear-based and especially Calvinist teaching. So if you're trying to be holy because of how well you obey the law of Moses, you're never going to get there. Okay, so that the Jewish people were under the law, but none of them could live up to the standard, of course. So they're feeling wicked. In that sense, they're sinners and wicked. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, he defines sin as a transgression of the law. Okay, so to a Jewish mind... Sin wasn't because Adam did something 6,000 years ago. It was because you broke the law of Moses, which everybody did. You, you 613 ordinances, you could not live up to them. So they were wicked in the sense that they couldn't follow the law. Okay, but that wasn't their fault. Nobody could follow the law. So, oh, and then he said, why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, the the scripture also says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust and that the 11th hour worker gets paid as much as the guy that showed up at 6 a.m. That's the scandal of grace is that because of what it's, it's not about your religious performance or legalistic obedience. It never has been, you know, in the Jewish story, Israel story, When we look back on the law of Moses, we see, oh my God, that is bondage. But compared to Egypt, it was freedom. Freedom and bondage are always relative to where you just were. Okay, in Egypt, they had their supplies decreased and the demand on their production increased and they had no day off. All right, under the, when they're on their journey, God provides all the food, that they'd ever need and he gives them a day off so remember relative to where we're at it the law of Moses looks like bondage but to them they were like wow this is way better than Egypt and God was trying to communicate to them I'm not like Pharaoh okay I'm not a taskmaster like he was I'm not merciless and murderous like he was and so it took hundreds and thousands of years for, for Israel and even us now to get this revelation that God's not like Pharaoh. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, Jesus says that on the cross in Matthew twenty-seven forty-six. But little bit of history that I've learned over the years that the Jewish custom in the first century was to sing the first little bit of a psalm Remember, they did not have chapters and verses, okay? They just knew the Psalms in their entirety. So they would sing the first line, and then the congregation would join in and sing the rest of it. So picture Jesus on the cross, not just saying, my God, why why have you forsaken me? He sings it. Now, I'm not saying that's fact. Just imagine that, because that was the custom. And that is a quote, if you did not know. That's not a standalone verse that you can form, you know, doctrine around that is a quote from psalm 22 1 a direct quote my god my god why have you forsaken me but psalm 22:24, if you have your bible or bible app read all the way down through the end of psalm 22 and you'll see in verse 24 about three quarters of the way through that it says you have not forsaken me you have not abhorred the affliction of the afflicted and you have not turned your face from me Now, that is a life-changing revelation, okay? God did not forsake Jesus on the cross. That would mean God and Jesus are divided. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. It would mean that God and Jesus have different missions. It would mean that Jesus is saving us from God, that they're separated at the cross, even though they're always in union. Jesus said, I don't do anything I didn't already see the Father do, and I don't say anything He didn't already say. So when Jesus is on the cross, he's seeing something that God already showed him. And it says in 2 Corinthians 5.19 that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. So God did not ask Jesus to get dirty when he was not willing to. Okay? Holy Spirit, Jesus, Abba, they're all present on the cross together. Alright? So... Don't receive that into your belief system anymore if you don't want to, okay? God did not forsake Jesus on the cross. Um, He was quoting Psalm 22. We'll finish it out and then I'll comment.
1: (laughs) Does that truth not move your heart? Then be afraid. Be very afraid. Wonder to yourself whether you even know him. Oh my gosh. Examine yourself, test yourself to see if you are in the faith.
0: What? With all
1: diligence, make your calling an election, sure.
0: Oh my gosh. It's hard not to stop it right now. He bore
1: your curse and mine.
0: <sighs> okay. So, wow. So he is really trying to make the the listener feel insecure about where they stand with God. And I don't believe that that's the heart of Jesus. So if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, and he's telling people before the cross who had not said a sinner's prayer, that weren't even receiving his message, that God was their pater or their origin, translated father, but it means progenitor or origin. And he's giving them security about where they stand with God. But Paul is trying to take your security. He says, examine yourself with all diligence. If you start to evaluate your religious behavior, you're going to conclude, well, I don't think I'm saved. But you don't earn your own salvation, okay? Jesus took care of all of that. He either did or he didn't. So have peace. He did, all right? Um, Before we were ever born, before the foundation of the world, um, he took care of all that. The, The cross is just a physical, earthly manifestation of something that took place in the spirit, I don't know when. Okay, but it's just manifesting, you know, in AD 30 in Jerusalem on a tree. So, you know, again, I am not attacking Paul. That's not my heart posture. I hope that's not what's coming across. I'm sure he's a good family man, a good husband, good dad, and a good pastor. But what he's teaching really hurts people's lives. These are real people sitting listening to this. And they are sitting there asking themselves, am I really saved or not? You know, and that's just a tough place to be. Because if you're, again, evaluating your religious performance, you're going to conclude, well, I haven't earned it. Well, you were never, no one earns it. And and he's reading scriptures that are Old Covenant scriptures that have to do with God and natural Israel. Our, our origin... Jesus never said to anyone that Adam was their origin, but he said to everybody he talked to that God was their origin. Again, they had not walked the aisle, raised their hand, said the prayer. I believe Jesus is trying to get us to awaken to what's always been true, that we're in a family reality, that we have a father and a mother God is both masculine and feminine. Whatever we need at the time, he will be because he's a loving origin, a loving father, loving mother. And these these messages and these teachings that take people's security. When we believe that, this is what it was like when I grew up. If the spirit of fear wasn't in the room, we thought God didn't show up that day. I know now that the spirit of fear is not the same thing as the presence of God. But you can sense that presence and you think it's God if you don't know any better. So, man, this has been fun. And and again, don't receive that heavy burden if you felt it during this message. Realize you are in a loving family. If you didn't know it, receive it now. It's true. And you can begin to awaken what's always true hope you guys enjoyed that i'm going to be posting one of these every week and remember down below i've linked the bible hacks course um, and you can also check out the abbaology podcast on any podcast service as well see you guys